0: Hey, yo, welcome to How to Write a Novel. Walking through the fucking winter snow late at night. I'm not too far from home, but maybe for once, when I think it's going to be a bit of a shorter podcast, it can actually be one for a change. We'll see. But a super cool thing happened that I thought was worth chronicling, where just in general, man, the process of writing a book, it's so neat how the reality of it, is definitely different from the theory. Like, I really noticed that with the nonfiction book I wrote, the book about The Last of Us, We're just getting to the end and finishing it, you know, the first time I'd finished a big-ass book, it was surprising just how different it felt to working on stuff and not finishing it, which is what I had done my entire life previously. It felt different enough, like it had just sort of unlocked something in my brain in my soul like i leveled up what is that it must be like a snowplow or something making the beep when it backs up god damn it's the middle of the night it's freezing cold it's super dark and i still can't escape random beeps frig off man well anyway I felt like it leveled me up to a point that I started this podcast, you know? It's like, all right, I did it once. Now that I'm writing a fiction novel, I felt like I wouldn't have done a podcast about how to write a novel if I hadn't written that nonfiction book. Man, that's fucking... What the fuck is that? That is fucking annoying. I mean, I get that we got snow, right? Like... Maybe you gotta plow the snow, but it's like, it's fucking midnight. <laughs> is this the time people are sleeping and shit? What the fuck is that? It's annoying me a lot. In fact, I'm not going to do this. Fuck this. Fuck this and fuck everything. I'll get back to this some other time. Okay, it's, uh, it's about a week later. It's daytime now. I guess I could have just cut that part, but I don't know. I thought it was slightly, slightly funny. So, uh, had a big bunch of snowfall yesterday. There's nobody out here in the woods. It's like I'm walking through a snow globe. This is the best part of winter, <laughs> right after it snows. Everything looks so pretty. Man, though, my boots both of them, to various degrees, the, uh, the bottoms are separating. So at the back, at the heel, there's holes. Like in one of them I can put my finger in, it's big enough. And there's still fucking snow everywhere, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just like, come on, we can make it, right? We just gotta make it through this one winter and I'll just throw these fucking boots away because I definitely don't intend to still be here when uh, snow hits again but my travel plans are definitely going slow. I finally got an appointment to get an ultrasound or whatever it's called for this uh, pain I've been having from sitting. I think the doctor said it's a blockage in a vein, in a valve of one of my veins. So it's a month till I get the scan, then who knows how long before, it'll probably be like a day surgery. So that alone is, uh, I'm just glad the process is moving, but it's not moving fast. And then I still got passports and shit to sort out, but, uh, but also, like, I've finally been stuck long enough because of COVID world that I've been pretty much constantly traveling since, I mean, the last time I had a proper apartment and a job and a lease and all this stuff was like 2016, 2017. And then I took off travel in the world and i've just been doing that i was gonna say ever since but i mean half of that time has been covid world but it just became airbnb to airbnb to airbnb where now i've been back in my hometown long enough that it is tougher to leave now because all the utilities at this apartment i met are all in my name and everything is you know everything is set up everything is like well i got the apartment i got the place to stay everything is like Like, once I leave, it does... I guess I felt this way in uh, Toronto, also. I stayed in Toronto for like a solid five years. Before then, I'd been traveling. I went to fucking New York and shit. And yeah, it was really hard to break orbit, because all my friends... I mean, not only did I make a bunch of friends in Toronto, my friends from here in the East Coast, a bunch of them all moved to Toronto. (laughs) Everyone was in Toronto. It was very hard to break the orbit and to get traveling again this is somewhat similar except uh, <laughs> i hardly know anyone in this town but just that you just have all the the parts of life that are like like once i abandon all this it's uh back to airbnb life like it's like i really gotta mean it once i start traveling that's it it's back to this is my whole life now and you know when i was thinking about it like if i'm being honest especially because covid's not gone it's creepy the idea that like if i travel it's kinda gotta be with the assumption that I'm gonna get COVID. In this town, no problem. I just feel like I will never catch it here in Fredericton because it's so small. But if I start traveling to places, I've got to assume I'm gonna get COVID eventually. And, and you know, when I think like, where would be worth it? What city is worth getting COVID for? Not Montreal, not Vancouver, not Toronto, not Amsterdam, not New York of all the places that i've been just tokyo just japan (laughs) you know japan's the only place that i'm like that's worth it i'd get covid to go back there but it's a ludicrous flight if you don't stop in the middle i mean it just makes so much more sense for me to make it like i did the first time where i went to montreal and then amsterdam and then japan if anything i should take it even slower than that i should stop more places But there's nowhere I really want to go. Not bad enough to get COVID. I'd rather just stay here and not get COVID. And then the Japan thing is like, uh, like a three month visa. If everything works the same as it used to, and then you can leave and come back and stay for another three months. Not bad. I mean, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to really wring the most I can out of it. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not really that long of a time to uproot and go around the world for. So it's all gonna happen. I'm moving in that direction, but it's going a little slow. It's gonna be a little while. That's all just to say that I hope that by the fall, before it starts to snow again, I've got everything sorted out to start going somewhere else. So I don't wanna buy new boots. I just wanna fucking let these ones dissolve on my feet and just fall into total tatters, just as winter's ending. And then hopefully I will not need a new pair. So there's the life update nobody asked for. Now let's talk about writing. So I'm glad I waited a week because uh, it's made things a lot more clear in my mind. I got a, a big thing I want to talk about and a small thing I want to talk about. The big thing is about the ending of this book. But first let's talk about the small thing, briefly. Because this is just something I stumbled upon the other day where I was at a thrift store and I saw a book for like three bucks and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. Let me just grab this book, give it a try. And uh, it didn't, didn't stick with me, but I wasn't really expecting it to. It's just like, oh, this just looks kind of cool. Let's give it a shot. And you never know when a, a random idea is going to hit you. So in this case, it wasn't like it gave me a, a positive inspired idea, but I did learn something in, in a negative way, in the negative space. <laughs> where I don't usually give actual writing advice on this podcast. (laughs) Man, (laughs) snow is blowing off all the trees here. Getting all over my little recorder. Good luck, little fella, getting all snowed on. Brush you off. You know, because as far as writing advice goes, I think generally you should just stick with your own style don't really follow the rules that someone else laid out the only distinct rule i remember laying down is the idea of not don't write a paragraph that's only one sentence because i do it too i do it as i'm writing like oh this is a dramatic moment what would make it more dramatic what if i just made the whole paragraph one sentence just so everyone is fully aware of how fucking badass this moment is But then when I look back at it the next day, I always go, no, 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 don't do that, (laughs) don't do that. That's not cool, that's dorky. But the thing I noticed with this book, this thrift store book, was uh, about describing things. I've brought that up before of... uh, I'm not a a fan of description. I under-describe, if anything, which I think generally, I think is fine. It only seems a little weird in this specific book I'm writing because it's sci-fi. If there's ever a time to describe more, maybe this would be it. But I still don't. (laughs) It's still, uh, I just think it's better to just leave things more or less up to people's imagination. The descriptions just slow things down, gum things up. They're just, and they're not important. But what I realized with this book, because I was reading this thing, I read the, uh, the introduction, like the prologue, and I got halfway through chapter one, and I was just like, no, I'm definitely not feeling this. So this isn't, this thing I'm going to mention is not why I stopped reading. But when I was already teetering, right on the edge of like, I think I'm going to stop reading because this is not working for me. On that final page where I gave up, I noticed this. So it stood out more because I'm, I'm just noticing all the little things that are making me not want to read this, this book, which I will not name because I don't want to shame anyone. It's just a book. Who cares? Just a random book, you know? But one of the things I noticed on this final page where I gave up was this girl's getting ready in the morning. It's like a steampunk book. So there's things to describe, you know, even though it's still kind of generic steampunk stuff. It's still just tubes and brass fucking couplings and stuff. But she took a drink out of a blue pitcher. (laughs) A pitcher of water. And the pitcher was blue colored. And what just suddenly occurred to me, like this is pretty basic stuff, but I just never thought about it this way before, is when you're writing, you're in charge of the reader's senses, you know? It's up to you to open or close the aperture of what information is getting in. You're the one who's in control of their eyes and their ears and their nose and their touch and even their thoughts of all of their sensations you decide what level of stimulus the reader is getting and you have to be responsible with that that's why i lean toward low levels of description because you can just easily overwhelm people with details that they don't need that do not add anything and do not matter so in this case the blue picture was utterly irrelevant Of all the things to describe about this person's morning, the drink of water is questionable, whether or not that matters. But, you know, that's fine. I'll give that one a pass. Drinking from a pitcher? Okay, maybe that's relevant. You know, just so we know, I guess, that in this cyberpunk world, or steampunk, I guess, just so we know in this steampunk world, there's no fancy devices to drink from, I guess, if that's important. It's just a picture. Fine, I guess I'll okay. But I mean already we're getting fairly deep into the weeds of potential irrelevancy. The fact that the picture was blue means nothing. There is no reason to care what color it was. If you just say a pitcher of water, an image will flash in the reader's mind and they will imagine a pitcher of water and we're done here. Job done. The fact that it's blue would only be relevant if this was some kind of like how the old school flash could only deal with stuff that was not yellow <laughs> you know or if you were in a world where certain colors were outlawed because the pigments were signs of the dark lord you know there has to be some reason to care why this thing is blue and again this is very tiny this is the tiniest little thing who cares But there's just, it just drags things down. When I'm already teetering on the precipice, I'm about to give up. I'm already feeling like I'm not necessarily in good hands. That my guide is not guiding me appropriately. The aperture is wide open. My senses are being flooded with everything that doesn't matter. Don't tell me it's a blue picture. Do not do that. I don't care. No one cares. The person in the story didn't care. The person who made the picture doesn't care that it's blue. It doesn't matter on any fucking level that that picture is blue. So I just think that's a good example to keep in mind. Like when you're deciding what stimuli is coming through the gate, is coming into the mind of the reader. Maybe if you're, I don't know, like if you need a, a baseline. Is this important or is this not important? I just feel like that's an okay one. Just think blue picture. Am I writing a blue picture right now? Because if I am, stop it. And then maybe take another step back and say, why am I talking about the pitcher of water in the first place? But <laughs> you know, everybody, I guess, you know, finds their own level, again, stylistically. But I feel strongly enough about this one. Oh, shit, almost fell down that I'm willing to put that forward as advice that I think one should follow. Don't write a paragraph that's only one sentence. Don't describe the color of the picture. (laughs) What are we, 150 episodes in or something? And I've said, I've taught two rules about how to write a novel. (laughs) And I guess try to write every day. There you go. There you go. There's this whole podcast wrapped up in a nutshell. Fuck, this is getting... This is tricky because there's all this new snow that just fell. I'm going downhill at this point, but I can't see where there's ice underneath the new snow. And I do have like some trekking poles, but I can't use them while I'm holding this recorder. So you might hear me fall down. Bonus comedy, potentially, on its way. Alright, so that's the little thing. The big thing I wanted to talk about is the ending of this book because this was quite... It was quite shocking to me, but as I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So I always talk about how I think you should have an ending in mind. I don't think you should just wing it and hope that your story comes together. So I had the ending in mind for this story right away. If you recall, episode one of this podcast, so there was an episode zero. Then episode one was the first time I played Song of the Day at the end of the episode. And I played Field on Fire by Nine Inch Nails. And I said, this is the song that I've been using as my guiding light of where I'm trying to get to in this story where the basic big beats of this story are this alien girl's planet explodes but she's not on the surface so she survives and rather than properly process things or I don't know healthily move on or all of the fucking shit you're supposed to do when trauma happens to you Instead, the way she gets back on her feet and starts to feel like herself again and starts to regain her sense of personal strength is to blow this fucking space station up that has just been in orbit around her planet. Particularly, she might have blown it up anyway, but when she finds out that the whole reason it was there is because they knew this catastrophe was coming and they didn't tell anybody, they just were like, oh, let's just observe. Hey, we're not doing anything wrong, we just were observing. So she's like, "Uh, I'm going to blow you up, you pieces of shit. But really the main idea was just that, I don't know, maybe it's like, I'm just kind of again following my sort of uh, inclinations. I'm not trying to overthink it too much. I just want to go with what feels like the emotional reality of this character. But maybe this is some kind of like, I'm like rebelling against self-help culture a bit. Because I'm always interested in personal development and of trying to, you know, be better today than you were yesterday, that type of shit. But I've also noticed over the years that, man, it's hard and it just doesn't work a lot of times. And sometimes you can be years and years down the road and it's like, is this, did this really work? Is this really getting me anywhere? Am I just going to relapse again? Maybe we're not all meant Maybe we're not all meant to be these perfect, self-actualized beings. Maybe it's a lot messier being a fucking (laughs) conscious fucking animal. And maybe it's okay to fucking burn diesel. Maybe it's okay to just spew smoke out behind you. Maybe it's okay to just fuck shit up as a way to progress. Maybe everything doesn't have to be perfect. So I would listen to that song, which is just like, Bom bum 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 I'm going back Of course I am As if I ever had a choice Bum just listen to that song and just imagine her with the fucking Scenery exploding behind her these like green explosions because it's all based on spore technology And this is our power shot, you know just like (laughs) Slow-mo. I'm the baddest motherfucker. I'm tired of fucking feeling like life has me under its thumb I'm gonna fuck shit up (laughs) And maybe it's the wrong thing to do and maybe I'm a bad person, but I got to do something to not feel like I've been feeling anymore so that was kind of my guiding light of where I thought I was trying to get to. And along with that, since there's really only two characters in this story, there's Sarat the Rhino Girl, who blows everything up, but there's Qualum the Jellyfish Boy, who lives on this station, who is basically just the only person who tried to talk to this, this crazy, trauma-rattled fucking orphan slash refugee, whatever. But I didn't really think about him too hard in these, like, because I mean, I can't overstate how many times I thought through both the first and the last chapter of this story, over and over and over, hundreds of times each. I had every little moment figured out. Like, I thought this was going to be the easiest chapter ever because I had so many notes and I just visualized it so many times. But as I was visualizing it, basically, my idea was as, I mean, just the rough, rough idea of it is, on her way out of the station, everyone's being evacuated, Sarat meets up with Quelum, the Jellyfish Boy for a final time, and she's just awful. She's just the worst. And I guess my thought was, like, all of my thinking was about her, And how she would feel. And he kind of didn't do anything. He's just like the sounding board. He's just the guy standing there gobsmacked. Shocked that this person he had been trying to sort of be friends with could be this fucking awful and this like evil or whatever. And I didn't really think of his side much beyond that because I didn't really think of his character much at all. The whole story was about her. He only developed through the writing of the story. So way back... Years ago when I started this, my idea of him and where he was going to be at the end of this story was super underdeveloped, not developed at all. So I don't think that was like a failing that I didn't have his place in the ending figured out. I mean, how could I? But he really was just kind of, he's just there to observe, just there to bear witness to the fire in the eyes of Sarat, the rhino girl, as she blows everything up. So here I am at the last chapter, all these years later. I'm finally there. I got all my notes, I lay them all out. I start working my way through this chapter. And it starts out, everything's going fine. Then she bumps into and the Jellyfish Boy and right away, now that I'm there, now that I'm actually fully in this moment, all of my mental faculties, when they're not busy contemplating a blue picture, are thinking about this moment now. And I realized what a blank canvas he is in this scene. They're like, this is the final time they're ever going to meet. This is the end of the story. He can't just stand there and go, What? What? What's happening? What's going on? You know, <laughs> it's just like it would be ridiculous. But it just occurred to me, like, yeah, I got nothing for this guy. And it made me think of a couple episodes back when I was talking about Paper Tigers and, like, these, these uh, characters that are just kind of easy tropes and easy archetypes that are just there to be shot down and how much I don't like that. This isn't as bad as that, maybe, but it's definitely in the same ballpark. Someone who's just there to be talked to, you know, someone who's just there to absorb what the other person wants to do or say. That's just like, that's, uh, that's a pretty lame character. And it'd be one thing if I just threw in some side character that does that. That wouldn't be great either. But the whole book has been about just these two people. This is such a disservice to him. It's just so clear if I do that, that I haven't thought about what this guy has been through and where he's at and what's actually going on in his mind and in his life in this situation. He needs to have some... Emotional reality, <laughs> you know? Well, I guess that's the thing I realized, too, is just not only just with him, but even on her side. You know, I've said many times why I write so slowly and why this has taken me so long is that I want to carefully... It's like I'm climbing up a, a rock wall and i got to find the next handhold and find the next handhold of, of the emotional beats of this story. I want the emotional reality of this story to ring true. I want it to make sense. And I realized, not only is Qualum just kind of a weird blank slate, but the chapter right before this, what kind of led Surratt to finally evacuate everyone and start setting off all these explosives she's placed all around the station, is because she was watching footage of her home planet exploding, and she just finally starts to really put it together of like, why did they have this footage? Why are they, why is this space station here anyway? Nothing else was out here except us. And she gets this horrible knot in her stomach and just feels terrible and starts to realize like, oh my God, that's why they were here. They were here because of us. They were here because they knew we were doing this dangerous research. They knew there was, if they waited long enough, there was a good chance they would get to see a planet just implode because its core Gets pulled out into a different fucking dimension and just, and everyone could die. And wow, the data. And <laughs> just imagine the data. And when she realizes that, it's not anger like I thought it would be. I realized in that moment, as I was writing the previous chapter, it's just. I mean, how do you even describe that? You know, how do you even describe? Sadness is too, too uh, soft a term. Maybe there is no way to describe it. It's too weird. It's too weird and complex an emotion, but it's certainly not anger. It's more, I guess, that she just couldn't contain herself anymore. It's like she's had her finger on the button for ages now. Everything has been set up in this weird balance of like, I've secretly taken control of this station, I've got explosives everywhere, but I haven't done anything with it because I still don't know what's happening in my life or what, where I'm supposed to go from here or what that would even mean. But she's just so overwhelmed in that moment that she can't hold back anymore. Just the only way to not feel this... Well, there was. Almost fell down. The only way not to feel this maelstrom of horrible feelings is to blow everything up. And that's <laughs> what's going to happen. But then final chapter, again, she's just not angry. All of this, all of this fucking field on fire shit. I am forgiven, I am free, I'm a field Oh, fire. <laughs> all that shit, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. That's not how she feels. If anything, she feels relief. The horrible knot in her stomach has gone away. Now, it's like the pressure relieving. Oh, so here's a, this is like a super creepy example. But one of my cousins, I don't know the name of, uh, of what happened to her. There probably is a medical name for it, I never looked it up. But when she was a kid, half of her face was, I mean, it was like Two-Face from, from Batman. Like half of her face was like a big, it just looked like a gigantic scab all over half of her head. And to this day, she's a grown woman now. It's cleared up a lot, but half of her face kind of looks like she's, she had been burned, kind of. But when she was a kid, it just was like... Just like a giant scab all over half of her, her face. And I remember a little story my aunt told me. That she would cry a lot when she was little. But sometimes, like, this... This big red... I mean, it's like, like the biggest birthmark in the world it would bleed, it would start bleeding. But because that was alleviating the pressure in her head, she would stop crying. <laughs> she would be a happy baby while her face was bleeding. It's like, wow, that's uh, that's wow. <laughs> so that's kind of what I was thinking about is like, now that everyone's evacuating this station and she can just feel the panic emanating from everyone, and everything is about to explode and be destroyed, now she's feeling good. She feels way better. You know, the pressure is alleviated. So she meets up with Qualem, and rather than, cause I, I kept visualizing this thing. There's this scene from the Scott Pilgrim movie when Scott Pilgrim is fighting evil ex number three, Todd the bass player. And Todd's a psychic vegan and there's a part where, It's like a side view of the two of them. Todd goes over to Scott and lifts him up with his psychic powers, lifts him into the air. It's my favorite shot in the whole movie. It's so beautiful. And I always thought if I ever made a movie of this Explode story, I would steal that exact shot. I would do it as a perfect recreation. Except in this case, it would be Surat picking up Qualum and his jellyfish tentacles wrapping around her arm and stinging her, like involuntarily. And that was kind of the, the idea for the two of them, that she would be this imperious like warlord, like picking him up, and he would be the terrified townsfolk, you know? But then I got to this moment, and yeah, just realized like that's not how either of them really feel at this point. Because this was just my conception years ago of how this thing would end now that i've been writing this story for so long and i've gotten to know these two characters so well she definitely doesn't feel like that she does not feel bombastic and I'm like wow that's so weird like this song that i kind of based this whole story on wouldn't even make it anymore if this were a movie this song is no longer in the playlist that's pretty weird i didn't expect that yeah, I was just sitting in this coffee shop. (laughs) I've learned, because again, I was saying how uh, this pain from the blockage in my blood valve happens when I'm sitting. But if I sit halfway off of a chair, so my left leg is not bent, it's just straight, the pain doesn't build up as much. (laughs) See, this is why I definitely can't travel till I get this shit fixed. Like, what the fuck? But anyway, I was sitting in this coffee shop, just you know, staring into space, like, okay, what's going on here? And I guess when I realized, just, just even the, the realization that things had to change, not even figuring out how they were going to change, but just realizing that this whole ending wasn't going to work anymore. And, and except that's the thing. I still think you should have an ending before you start, because the actual events of the ending are still the same. She's leaving the exploding station. She meets Qualem. They have their final whatevers. Goodbyes are the wrong word, (laughs) but then she goes up to rendezvous with her people. Everybody watches the space station fucking explode. The end. Those basic beats are all the same. What isn't the same is the feeling between the two main characters in their last conversation which to me is the most important thing. Like, the emotional reality of a story is so much more important to me than the plot. You know, I just... Plot, I could give a fuck. I haven't... I, when's the last time a plot was ever interesting enough to, for anyone to care about? I don't know. For me, it's been a long fucking time, and I don't think those days are ever coming back. So the emotional reality of these characters is the only thing I care about. And it was just such a weird feeling to just be sitting there gawkily staring into space and it's like everything was just melting i was like holy fuck that is so weird for like five years now i've been visualizing the end of this story over and over and over every time i listened to that song it would be the field on fire song and then after that there's a song by the vines called amnesia that i would imagine for as she's leaving the station and just kind of watching the beauty of it falling apart and then leaving in an escape pod and watching the whole station explode. I still think that would fit. (laughs) That song is the perfect let's watch a space station explode song. Amnesia by the Vines. Beautiful song. I'll probably play that at the end. I might as well. Why not? But the field on fire part is like damn that's so fucking weird. All the times that I visualized that and all the times I imagined because I had their whole conversation laid out and I would just run the dialogue in my mind over and over and over. So yeah, it was just a really weird feeling, but not a bad feeling to realize like that's all wrong. I'm not going to use any of that. That's so fucking crazy. I just couldn't see it until I was right there, until I was at that moment. And I was just focusing all of my focus on the, this one moment. Because that's what I've been doing the whole time. Does this moment feel real? Does this moment feel right Repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat till we get to the end of the story. And now that I'm at this moment, does this moment feel right? And it didn't feel right. And it all just... Just dissolved. But it didn't feel bad. I wasn't sad to lose it. Because if it's not right, it's not right. (laughs) You know? just doesn't matter. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I had a line. Even this was even too corny for my big bombastic ending, but it's a good example of like that kill your darlings idea of like, don't put in your beloved stuff if it doesn't fit. The idea that the space station was there just to observe. You know, I was thinking Qualum could say something like, but we didn't do anything. And she could reply, that's right. You didn't do anything. (laughs) You know, you didn't warn us, you didn't try to stop this. Even in my bombastic ending, I was like, that's too dumb. That's what I re- would have written if I was 13, and it would have been sweet. But as an adult, no, no, too dumb. So I took it down a level from there. But even then, I had like I had this wild idea of like how Surat could be really, really mean, like really make her just an asshole at the end. Where she had this whole elaborate, basically just, I don't know, there's no need to get into all the details, but... This way to kind of blackmail Quailum the Jellyfish Boy into not going back to his home planet. She wanted to kind of like strong arm him and force him into going off on an adventure by threatening his whole fucking way of life. It's a whole sh- it was like insane. It was just- it was stupid. <laughs> so, so yeah, I realized none of this makes sense. This is all crazy shit that I came up with ages ago. So I had to dwell in that moment and be like, okay, what is the actual feeling here? What is the feeling between them? And what I realized, rather than this weird thing of Sarat the fucking reborn warlord, I mean, this is just like a 16-year-old kid, essentially. The alien version of it, of that. She's from a weird rhino race that is kind of uh, impulsive and uh, prone to... See, that's a, it's a side thing, but also I have... Specific ideas about how anger should work because uh, I come from a very easily frustrated line of people. And I always think of like that thing you see in like gritty comic books or bad mature cartoons and stuff where people are always baring their teeth, <laughs> gritting their teeth all the time. And it's so dumb. I hate that so much because. That's not what an angry person does. An angry person does not growl and grit and look at my teeth. An angry person is always trying not to be angry. An angry person is either flipping the fuck out at you or emanating an unnatural calm because they've spent their whole life trying not to get mad. (laughs) You know? So I mean, I got a specific stake in that personality type. But I hate that so much. That just like baring my teeth thing. That's written by a person who doesn't know what a fucking anger problem is like. It's like when someone from the south tries to write about snow. It's like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, bitch. <laughs> so just fucking quit it. But in this case, I realized not even that. She wouldn't even be doing the trying not to be angry thing because she's not angry. She's feeling pretty good. She's happy to be blowing up this space station, (laughs) you know? This is her head bleeding and alleviating the pressure. That's what's happening right now. Whereas Qualum, Qualum's lived his whole life on this space station and now he's gonna have to leave. Basically, Sarat arranged for everyone else to get dumped into escape pods and they just have to float there and wait for rescue. No one's gonna be hurt, no one's gonna die. She wanted to fuck with them a little more, but the station that she hooked up with, the Accomulon wouldn't let that happen. But she did leave a ship for Qualem, Because even that, okay, so that's, I guess, the first step. Because I, you know, I just uh, had in my mind, like, okay, the, she's walking through the rapidly emptying, evacuating station, and she bumps into Qualem. I just never thought about that. So that was the first step. Like, okay, Why? Why did she bump into Qualem? She didn't seek him out. She's got other things on her mind. So it would have to have been him who's coming to find her. And why would that be? And that was kind of the first thing that... My first handhold into the new ending, the way things are going to feel now, is that because everyone else has been sent to these escape pods, all the other long-range ships have been dismantled. The only ones left are one for Sarat and her people, and one for Qualem. So he sees this, you know, like, because the Akamulon, the space station, is very busy trying to evacuate everyone, it's uh, less good in this moment at locking down information. So Qualem's able to see the whole manifest and see what's happening. And when he sees that everyone is being sent to escape pods, except him, That there's only one proper ship left, and he's being sent there. He knows immediately this has to be. He's been suspicious of Surat and her connection to the station, but he's like, it has to be her. Because no one else cares about me. (laughs) The weird reality of despite the fact that he's part of this society, and he's lived his whole life here, but nobody else on this station cares about him. No one else would ever think he's important. No one else would ever arrange for him... It it wouldn't make any sense for him to be the one person that gets this this fucking long-range ship. The only person who would arrange this would be her. Despite the fact that they've basically been arguing and not understanding each other for this entire book. Even just the fact that they've been in communication... It's just, in, in, in this weird way, you know, he's just a cog in this machine. Nobody cares about him except her. So already, this is way better <laughs> than just whatever weird, bombastic, insane nonsense I had planned out before. Already, this is like, well, at least this is, this is something, <laughs> you know? It's like, maybe this is the the point of this story more than what I thought the point of this story was. Because she doesn't even realize this until that moment, until he says to her, like, I knew it had to be you because everyone else is going to the pods. I'm going to the ship. Nobody else would do that except you. So instead of her being, like I said, all angry and imperious and shit, Instead, I realized she would, this would embarrass her, she would like blush, she would have to look away, like, oh, fuck. I didn't realize I was opening myself up like that. I was, by not just tossing Qualum in a fucking generic escape pod with everyone else, by giving him this ship, by giving him this present that no one else got, she's like admitting She's showing that she cares, you know, which she did not intend to do and didn't even necessarily know that she felt that way or that she was doing that. She just didn't think about it. But in that moment, she can't deny it and she's embarrassed. So it just really 180 things. Instead of, I'm the big, bad, destroying fucking rhino girl. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. I've tipped my hand a little bit that despite the fact that I'm blowing up this guy's whole space station and his whole way of life and really fucking up his day and everyone else here, but in my own weird fucked up way, I'm showing that I care about this guy. And I didn't mean to do that. So she's kind of thrown off and she's kind of embarrassed. And then from there, I've been working all week on what is the conversation they're going to have? And I won't get into all that right now. But I realized I could even put in the thing. My old notes about how she was going to try to fucking literally blackmail him and force him into going off and having an adventure in space. She could still bring that up, but she could say like, you know, I had this weird, these weird fantasies, these weird thoughts, just like when I'm lying in bed at night trying to fall asleep just thinking about this weird shit I could do to you. And now that we're here, I'm just embarrassed about it. I'm embarrassed that I felt like that. And yeah, just I find this so interesting because again, like I was saying, the actual plot points are all the same. She's still just meeting with Qualum, then they go their separate ways. The actual ending, in a way, is the same, but the emotional content of the ending is the opposite. It's upside down, but it's so much better. I mean, even just talking about it, I feel something <laughs> where whatever I felt before was just bam, bam, bum 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 bum. Wait, Which what is that? I don't know. It's a cool song. <laughs> you know, what is that? It's a bit of a weird place to spend all these years writing a novel just to get to that, right? It's a little thin. But again, I still think it's good to have the ending, have the thing in mind, because the nuts and bolts of the ending are still the same. But yeah, once I get here and the emotional core of it is completely different, it's like, wow, that's so, it's so neat, it's so cool. I did not expect that to happen, but I'm so much happier with how things are now. And yeah, it's, it's been going slow <laughs> all week. Just one more little piece, one more little piece. Just really trying to, I mean, I'm still just writing it out in point form. I got a long ways to go on this chapter. But it's almost there. It's 80, 90% there, just little bits here and there. And I came up with all these little small details and little things. And I've really been delving more into, like, how would Qualum feel in this moment? And really, he's just, he's just afraid. He's very scared <laughs> because he's never been off this station. And now he's got this ship. He could just hang out with the other refugees and wait to be rescued. He could go back to his home planet. But also, basically, I'm going to have Surratt say, like, this was my weird plan to try to force you to go off and have, have an adventure. And again, I'm embarrassed and I'm, I'm like sorry that I was even thinking about that because it's so fucked up. But you could still do that, you know? Like, instead of trying to push it, now it's just like a suggestion. Like, hey, man, this could be your chance. In a way, it might be easier, because how are you going to explain why you have a ship and no one else does? <laughs> You'd have some splaining to do. Whereas if you just take off, like all the ship manifests are gone, the station has not sent off updated records in a long time, no one knows who was there and who wasn't. They're not even going to know you're gone. But yeah, basically, basically, instead of the Imperious Warlord ending, how it's turned out how the actual feeling is now between these characters is it's like it's like a sleepover <laughs> it's either the last sleepover before the apocalypse or maybe like the first sleepover after the apocalypse happened <laughs> you know it's like everything is crazy everything's falling apart but between these two characters it's just this quiet more or less comfortable meeting <laughs> There's another weird uh, like angle I thought of where, you know, where she's feeling quite good about things. Where he's not only scared, he's also looking for a way to stop this. But he's realizing that it's not just her, it's like her and the space station together. That the Akamulon that runs their station, I mean, it's it's very evident that it is a huge part of this plan and it wants out and it's going to leave no matter what that this is way out of Qualem's hands at this point. There's nothing he can do to stop this. There'd be no point. The station itself wants to fucking get out of here. But if you remember, I don't know if anyone recalls, but way back in one of the first episodes of this podcast, I talked about a a conversation these two characters had about who would win in a fight, you know, the standard kind of uh, scientist versus the caveman type of scenario. But he basically lays out here at the end that, like, it's not even a question. With my stingy tentacles, I could just kill you. I, I'm not even remotely concerned if there were... If, if I thought killing you would help, I could kill you. There's not even a question that you would win this fight. And now that she has more information because she's hooked up with the station, it's like, oh, uh, huh, that's very disturbing to see that that is true. That he could just kill me right now. But it's way too late, you know, so he, he does not, he does not enact violence. But it's like his last, you know, instead of him just being this uh, ineffectual character like he was in my early notes, her kind of last moment with him is like slightly disturbing. That not only could he easily kill her, if he thought it would help, he would. But he sees that it's too late, so they just go their separate ways, and she's like, "Ugh, yikes. (laughs) That's pretty fucked up. (laughs) It's so good, dude. This book is so good. Definitely worse all these years, you know? (laughs) Like, it's one of these things that no matter what happens, if it just never goes anywhere, it's somehow just the greatest thing of, just the greatest disaster that no one cares and no one will ever publish it, or no one ever likes it, or just whatever... Just as far as a a personal project, you know, if that did happen, it's like, well, okay, move on to the next thing. Get back to the knower story or my other various stories and write something else, try again. But just as far as a personal, like the same way writing that Last of Us nonfiction book really helped me uh, develop a daily writing habit and gave me that confidence of knowing what it feels like to finish writing a book. This is the same thing. Like it just, it really doesn't matter what happens with this novel you know, hey, it'd be great if it became the most enduring classic of all time and people are like, fuck Shakespeare, explode is the shit. That'd be nice. But it doesn't matter, because <laughs> just for myself, it's like, man, I feel so good about this. And it's still going to be ages. Just to finish this chapter is going to be ages. And then this is, this is still, my, <laughs> lest I remind us all, the first draft. Fuck. I'm not even near done and I don't give a fuck. It'll take as long as it takes, but just the process has worked out so well. And this is such a neat thing. Like it's so neat to get to the end and be like, wow, that was all wrong. But I think because of the, how careful I've been up to this point, how slowly I've been going to try to make sure that all the dots connect emotionally speaking, it wasn't that hard to just turn everything upside down at the end, if that's what needed to happen. Because I just had to figure out what was the next logical step. What is the relationship between these people now? Where have we gotten to? I missed the uh, bullseye when I threw a dart five years ago, but of course I did. (laughs) Why wouldn't I, you know? And this is like a good thing to know for the future. You know, like I've got an ending in mind for The Knower, the story about the two little girls on the island. I've got an ending in mind for Spark, the one about the people who meet at the Russian airport. I got an ending in mind for Trance, the one about the, the kid who has to drag a, an unconscious chanting priestess through the fucking jungle. But they all might change at the end. Like, I, it's, a, it's a, again, I mean, there's been so many contradictions and so many catch 22s in the process of talking about writing in this fucking podcast. And this is just another one. It's like, I really think you need to have that ending in mind. I don't think you should just go and hope that it all works out. But when you get there, it might not make sense anymore. And that's not a big deal. You can just, you can just take where you've... As long as you haven't skipped steps, as long as you haven't... Like, as long as everything up to this point is makes sense to you and feels good to you, then you can come up with an ending that will make sense to you and will feel good to you. Because I do get that feeling a lot when I'm writing. I'm sure I've said this before, but... Because I do get that feeling a lot when I'm reading other people's writing or watching a TV show or a movie or something. Oh, fuck, shit, holy crap, a whole bunch of snow just got blown off these trees. Shit. Hold on, brush off the recorder again. But I get this sense that people are writing stuff that they think someone else will care about. You know, it's like, I don't know, this is like following the rules of drama or something, or I'm just following what I've seen other people do, or, you know, probably someone will care about this, right? I gotta assume someone else will care about this. But you don't get the feeling that the person who wrote it cares, and it's palpable. Really, all you gotta do is just make sure that in each moment, each little beat to beat to beat to beat of the story, that you care. That's all. It's not easy to do. It's a very slow process. You really got to ruminate. But it's just, if you feel like this doesn't feel right, I don't think I care about this. (laughs) Just keep thinking about it till you get to the, the version that you care about. And that's it, man. In a weird way, I mean, writing is hard, but it's only hard if you try to go fast. You know, if you just really take your time and just examine how you feel on the inside it'll all work out okay That's as plenty that is enough so yeah i'm gonna play amnesia by the vines and just imagine as you listen to this song imagine surat the rhino girl walking through a now fully evacuated empty space station and she may occasionally blow things up hey blow that up blow that up let me see it Then she goes up in a little pod by herself to go rendezvous with all of her brethren. But midway, she stops to watch the station explode before she goes up to meet them. And yeah, just the instrumental part of this song is the perfect like fireworks display, beautiful space station exploding music ever. Once again, thank you for listening. I will talk to you next time.